Hello, and welcome to another episode of Book Faces Live, the show where we talk to the faces behind your books. I'm Nathan Van Koops, I'm your host, and I'm very excited to bring you an, an interview today with author Lori Roy. Uh, Lori, welcome to the show. Thank you, great to be here. Um, you and I have go back a few years uh, at this point. Um, we were just discussing uh, Writers in Paradise Conference, which is a, a writer's conference here in uh, St. Petersburg, Florida, and where I first met you as an instructor. And I have, uh, I still think of you frequently when I'm editing my books and uh, think of comments. Well, Lori Roy would say that I'm filtering my characters right now. <laughs> so, oh, one of my favorites. Yeah, so I have learned from you and uh, I have enjoyed kind of following your career over the years. So I'm always excited to feature other St. Pete authors. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm very excited to have a chance to chat with you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, you write in a pretty interesting genre of mystery, and you've uh, described it as Southern Gothic, and you have, um, uh, your most recent book is The Dis Disappearing. Uh, could you tell, tell readers a little bit about what you write and um, kind of what they can expect when they pick up one of your books? Yeah, I, um, The Disappearing is my fourth novel. Yeah, it's my fourth. Um, and I've, I've bounced around a little bit, and so The Disappearing is my first that's set in Florida, which is where I live, and the first that's really in the South proper, so mm. to speak. Um, my work's bounced around from the Midwest to Detroit, down to Kentucky, and while those books wouldn't qualify as Southern Gothic, they all had that same gritty setting that you find in the South. Mm. So they might seem unrelated, they're really very closely related in that respect because I love a good, gritty setting. Yeah. Is that a prerequisite of, of the genre? How would you define um, Southern Gothic fiction? Well, uh, Southern Gothic is, I think of it as the intersection of, you take all that's beautiful about the South, you know, the, the landscape and the food and the music and the kind of the romance of that um, gone with the wind sort of image, which isn't very realistic at all. You mm -hmm. take all that and then you butt it up against all the tragic history of the South. Mm -hmm. And when you put those side by side, the juxtaposition of it highlights particularly the struggles that the South has faced. In, mm -hmm. in just the history of our country. Um, so it tends to be uh, relatively, um, again, while, while you do have the beauty, it tends to be relatively dark. Some Southern Gothic um, might have some humor in it, maybe, although mine doesn't, so I'm not a funny writer. <laughs> yeah, pull that off. I think I've written one funny line in five books. Um, and it'll it tends to maybe have a little bit of a little bit of magic or um, maybe paranormal almost those sorts mm. of ghosts and um, superstition superstitions mm. and all those things were not not ghosts like a ghost story but just the the ghostly feel of you know, the moss dripping from the live oaks and and all those sort of creepy ghostly elements. Yeah. Some of the, I mean, the adjectives are using, you know, dark, gritty, tragic. Um, it sounds like sort of a, a melancholy type of genre. So uh, what 
what attracted you to writing this type of fiction? Um, you know, I honestly, when I first started writing, I didn't think a whole lot about it. I wrote the mm -hmm. book I wanted to read. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things I learned when I was a student at Writers of Paradise. Mm -hmm. And that's my number one rule to this day. Most of us make the mistake of writing the book we want to write. Mm. It's, um, is a mistake. And so, so I thought a lot about the book I want to, want to read, and I want to read a book that has all those elements of the beautiful setting, not so much that it is beautiful, but it's beautifully developed. Might you know, be gritty, as in my case. I want well-defined, well-rounded characters. I want themes that matter. But, in addition to all that, I want a plot that makes me just turn the page. Mm -hmm. um, to get that, you've got to put people in some dire straits. My characters are making decisions that will define them for life. Well, that's not really in reality. We generally aren't defined by one choice. Yeah. Uh, so in, in working toward that, if, if, that's the, if those are the things that are at stake, what could be lost is pretty tremendous. So that leads to a, 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 um, a plot that's going to explore some tough issues. Mm -hmm. I do always, and this is where I diverge a little bit from Sanagothic, I like to end with some sense of hope and redemption and hopefully a little bit of justice. Sometimes it's hard to find, which I think is true in life. Yeah. I, I like that. I'd like there to be some sense of redemption and hope at the end of my work. Do you find that helps with the reviews? Do you think people have expectations coming in of uh, a slightly happier ending, or do you think people in this genre are expecting to be melancholy at the end of this? Um, you know, I don't. I don't make the choice for the sake of reviews. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm, I make the choice. I'm, I'm examining. And I don't set out to do this, but I find myself, the issues that I'm drawn to are things that I'm just kind of trying to think through. And I, I like to think of myself as an optimistic person and that there's always hope that we can do better. Hmm. And so that's how it comes out. It, you know, there's noir, I think of noir fiction more, everybody dies and nobody's happy in the end. <laughs> yeah, very, you really have that. Um, things do not end out well, end up well, and they are not ever going to. Mm -hmm. So I, I think of Southern Gothic not in terms of that. I, I don't. I think of it differently from noir fiction in that way. Um, what is? How do you define the Gothic element? Because you talk about Southern Gothic. We've talked a lot about the South and the tragedy of the South and the, sort of the mood and the melancholy of that. But if you were writing elsewhere, not in the South, like um, how do you define just the Gothic elements? What are Gothic elements in fiction? Um, and this is where, when I talked about my other books, even though they weren't in the South, they had those Gothic elements. Um, things like the sort of the the, the bit of paranormal, the mystic characters, mm. people are cast aside because they're different. Um, all those, those are kind of the, that's, that's the part that's butting up against the beauty. Um, that, and the two of those together highlights really both of them. 
Hmm. So, whereas my other books don't quite take place in the South, they tend to have those same graphic sorts of elements. So you, um, I know all of your books are, are standalones, right? They kind of separate um, individual stories. Do they? Do you, have you found a particular theme coming through in all of your books, or do you kind of focus on different themes in each each one? You know, um, we were just talking, Nathan and I, before this we began here about the first time I went to Riders of Paradise. I was a student, and it was probably. I don't know, 12, 13 years ago, Stephen King was the keynote speaker. And I remember very clearly something he said about theme. And and it has stuck with me, and I wholeheartedly believe. He said, when, you know, when you're writing that first draft, don't think about it at all. Write to build your character. Write to tell your story. Write as truthfully as you can. And then once you're done, take a look at what you've created and look for the themes that bubbled up naturally out of that evolution. Wholeheartedly mm. believe that. Um, that being said, I tend to see the same themes bubble up <laughs> like. Um, and yeah. it really it, it's a lot of what bubbles up is how how willing we are to sacrifice the lesser among us if it means kind of protecting our own uh, sense of power or money or position. Hmm. And who, who might that be in one of my stories? It, it varies. And all my other work, except for the disappearing, has been set in the past. And what I would find is that I'd be writing about something that happened back in the 30s. Maybe um, I wrote something loosely inspired by the last lawful public hanging in the United States took place in Kentucky, I believe, 1936. And in researching that, I, I found this, um, during this event when this man was hung, it turned into kind of a national spectacle. Um, people were holding parties, and he was found guilty, tried, appealed, all within like a month. It, it was really this spectacle, and I found myself wondering, okay, people are not seeking justice here. What are they seeking? Mm. And it was, and in that instance, they, they were willing to sacrifice this man, guilty or not, there was a sense, a sense of sacrificing him, because they wanted to somehow preserve what they believed was the right way of life for them. And then somehow in doing that, they were emboldening themselves. And I thought, well, that happened back then. But the more I wrote, the more I started to see today's headlines, mm -hmm. the very same thing happening. And when you see that, when at first you think, oh, that was a long time ago, and then you realize, wait a minute, how that could be today. That, mm -hmm. That's a really big awakening, a, really, a new perspective just opened up, at least for me. Yeah, I see those similar similar threads from the past that are still underlying things now. That's um, that's fascinating. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I would like to. I know if anyone is watching the, I see I've got some viewers watching live. If you're watching live and you have questions for Lori, uh, feel free to to post up your questions in the comments, and I will happily relay them to her. Um, or if you're watching later in the um, replay and you want to. Uh, shoot up some questions, we'll be able to pop back on and um, answer questions in the comments later. So feel free to, to ask any questions you might have. Um, one of the questions I wanted to touch on was that 
Um, you have been um, a multiple award-winning author, and uh, you won the Edgar Allan Poe um, Award uh, twice, I believe. Once as a, your, your first novel, Bent Road, and then um, also more recently as well. Could you talk a little bit about um, what that award was and how maybe it has sort of um, changed things at all, if, if at all, for you for as a writer? Yeah. Um well, I didn't know anything about the Edgars until I heard that I was nominated for one uh, mm-hmm. with my first novel. I it is it is a award given by the Mystery Writers of America, and there's various categories. There's best first novel by an author, best novel, best paperback original, best screenplay, best short story. So I, I don't know, it's probably eight or so categories. Um, and in, I didn't know this at the time when I was first nominated, but I know now because I've also been a judge um, for, I was a judge one year for the paperback um, category. Publishers um, submit their books for the award, and, and you can go online, you can go to the Mystery Writers of America.com, or I think it's nwa.com, and there's an Edgar's. Uh, tab, and you can actually see all the books that have been nominated, or not mm-hmm. nominated, all the books that have been submitted okay. for to be in contention, I guess. Um, and so, on, I think it's generally on Edgar Allan Poe's birthday, which I think is January 19th of every year, the nominations are announced. And there's, I think, around five maybe six books in each category are nominated and that was the first when, when I got word that I was nominated for the Edgar Award, that's the first time I thought, oh, I've written a mystery um, you know, reviews told me that I didn't think about it I went, I was writing based on that rule and mentioned write the book you want to read mm-hmm so the nominations come out every year in January, and then the awards are held in New York. Uh, they've been at the Grand Hyatt near Grand Central Station. Uh, I've been three times now, and it's been at the same location each time. Uh, that's held the very end of April or early May, uh, uh, generally, and it's a lot of fun. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> uh, it's uh, you know you you dress up. There's um, there's usually a one-day, I think it's a one-day sort of conference in um, connection where they have some panels. Like I've spoken on a few panels there, and they have guest speakers, and people can sign up and go be part of this conference. And then there's a cocktail party, and there's a dinner, and it's a big awards ceremony. And uh, Mary Higgins Clark was the announcer when I won for Best First Novel, so I haven't great picture with Mary Higgins Clark giving me the award and afterwards and um, it, it's it's a great I've been there when I've won and I've been there when I haven't won mm-hmm. they were both great fun uh, I would say I I enjoyed the second win more than the first just because I was so overwhelmed with the first one but mm. not so much just you know, with your first book, there's just a lot of new things. And mm-hmm. um, a writer that I was after the award, my agent and editor and um, another writer who was at the table and some other people, we all went 
out for champagne after and we're in the hotel bar and the author that I'm sitting with looks leans across the table and she says, So Edgar on your first book, what are you gonna do? I said, What well I'm not gonna cuss on your show. <laughs> what are you gonna do now? Or like yeah. what do you Edgar on your first book, what do yeah. you do after that? Or yeah. something exactly yeah. what I was thinking is I felt like I am so not in a good spot because how am I going to do this again? I'm never going to write another book again. And then you sit down and you just slide down. You know, you yeah. kind of lean into the crazy moments. Um, so I did. Yeah. But, uh, the second time I won, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was not, and I thoroughly enjoyed it the year I lost. It's like that's, I lost to Kent Kruger. He wrote a beautiful book. There was no yeah. shame. In yeah. Well, that's really cool. I mean, it's, um, it sounds like it's, yeah, it's nice too that you won multiple times. You can say, well, it definitely wasn't a fluke. You know, you've done it more than once. So you've got, you've got, you're doing something right out of four books to win, to win twice. That's, uh, very impressive. Um, obviously you got the craft part down. Um, have you found that the award has helped with, you know, um, I'm sure it probably helps with, with selling more books as far as to publishers and, and getting more, more book deals, things like that. Is it something that it's a credential that's, uh, been very helpful for you? Um, you know, I guess that's hard to, to quantify. Um, I, it certainly hasn't hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice to have it in your bio. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would say yes, it helps with book sales. I think particularly now that, you know, social media is so prevalent, you know, mm-hmm. 15 years ago, it probably wasn't as widely known, you know, outside of really the more closely knit community, just because the information wasn't disseminated so readily. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I don't, there's sure no downside, I'd put it that way. So having experience as a prior winner and also as a prior judge, do you have any advice for aspiring mystery writers? Um in sort of what people are looking for for award-winning fiction? Um, you know, I, I think the biggest mistake you could make is to try to figure that out. <laughs> and I would go back again, you know, write what you want to read. Yeah. Um, there, there are extraordinary, I mean, I, I don't think that's the litmus test if you won an, an award or not. Um, if you're not, if you're not writing kind of from a sense of honesty to what you want to write, it's probably not going to be your best work. And that's different for everybody. Um, some people are very, very plot driven with their work and those are page turners and, um, other people are going to, are going to be drawn to write a quieter book or a southern gothic book. You really got to go with, with what you do well. And I, I think it would be a huge mistake to try to think, how can I win an award with my rights? Because I'm guessing that's probably not going to happen if that's how you're approaching it. Right. Um, what are you working on now? What's the next next thing you have in the works? Um, I have, I'm putting the finishing touches on my next, which will be out next summer. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I believe the title has gone too long. That seems to be where we're at. Okay. We're Southern Gothic again, set in the heart of Georgia. And um, 
on the day a little girl, on the, on the day the Ku Klux Klan throws a flyer in a little girl's yard, she disappears. And seven years later, a woman named Imogen Coulter makes a harrowing discovery in the basement of the family's property. Mm. And these two stories collide. Hmm. And, um, definitely, I would say this book falls in the thriller category. Okay. So, Southern Gothic meets thriller. Okay. Um, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. We're kind of in the process of, I'm starting to get cover ideas from my publisher, and that's always a fun place to be. So hopefully I'll have that to put out online soon. Yeah. And are you, um, still publishing with, um, Penguin? Uh, yes. Or Dutton, which is an important part of Penguin Random House. Okay. And um, what's the conversation like when you say, okay, I've got an idea for another book? Or at this point, are they saying, okay, you know, what are your pitches like when you go to pitch the next idea? Um, I have not ever pitched the next idea. I've just written it. Okay. Um, I, I've heard other writers just talk in passing, and I feel like they have gone through the pitch. Like, I suppose it's how your contract is structured. Um Pitching, I would not say, is one of my strong suits. Mm. Um, I think it's important to know what you bring to the table and what you don't. Uh, mm. I have, a, anyway, it's not one of my strong suits. So I never actually have. I, I have written the book I, that I had in mind, and um, so far, so good. Have you worked with the, the same editing staff for the uh, all four books, or have you, has that changed over the years? Um, pretty much. I have a new editor with the book that will be out next summer and The Disappearing. That was one editor, and I had a different editor for the first few. Mm-hmm. But most everyone else is pretty much the same, which is, is pretty unusual, and yeah. I'm, I'm very lucky in that respect of publicity folks and marketing folks and um, they're they're extremely great to work with and it had a lot of stability mm-hmm. yeah and that can be unusual it seems like there can be a lot of turnover um, and there's a lot of, of course change in the publishing industry right now um, a lot of you know growth in different areas and um, are your are your books available in um, audio as well yes they are Audio, large print, um, yeah. And um, you have gorgeous uh, cover designs as well. Is that? Do you have any? Do you get um, much say in your your cover design and who you choose for that, or how's that working? Um, yeah, I do. And I again, I've been so fortunate that I we've had beautiful covers. Are they are sent to? Uh, me and my agent and other people, we all sort of um, chime in with our ideas. And I'm, I'll am i have my opinions, but along with that, I, I'm also quick to say, but I want to know what the sales guys think. Mm. Or yeah. uh, because they are on the front line and, and they know this stuff in a way that I just can't. You know, I don't, I have some... I used to work for Hallmark Cards, so I have some experience with um, the significance of marketing and what it entails, but I don't have the eye, the background, the knowledge that they do. So mm. I always sort of temper my thoughts with, here's what I'm thinking, 
So what what are what's the sales force thing? What what are the marketing folks? Mm-hmm. And then from all that, I have ended up with gorgeous covers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, so, tr- I think they turned out great. So, um, so. I mean, you say you have some little bit of marketing background. Have you? Can, a lot of the authors that we have on the show so far have been. Um, there's a lot of indie authors, a lot of hybrid authors who have sort of a like foot in both both camps. Have you toyed with the idea of um, publishing any of your own stuff now that you have sort of a, a following and you have your names a little bit better known now than than a starting author? Um, you know, I haven't. Hmm. I think it it does. That's. Well, I can't really say because I haven't done it, but I would imagine it's a little bit different animal because mm-hmm. you are responsible for so many things. Mm-hmm. I know enough about marketing to have a great deal of respect for it, mm-hmm. and I would not, I wouldn't be able to put the time into it or have the knowledge to do it effectively. Mm. Yeah, Except at this point. Yeah, t- so, time time is definitely a factor in in addition to, of course, all the, the skill sets, of course, but. Um, uh, yeah, so so you've continued on with 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 Penguin and um, and Dutton. You said is, du- is Dutton? You said is that specifically the mystery branch of Penguin, or how does that work? No, it's just it's one of the their imprints. You know, mm. there's a number of different imprints within. Now it's actually Penguin and Random House. Um, Dutton has some mystery, like Carlin Coben, for example, is a Dutton author. Lisa Gardner, um, Meg Gardner, all very very successful. Um, crime writers, but they they have other um, genres. Well, lots of nonfiction. Um, relatively, I think they do around twenty titles a year. That's what it was at one point. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure if that's still the case. Um, do you do you have any advice? I mean, for people who are looking to go the traditional route and sort of. Um, land themselves an agent and get representation, what are some of the, what some of the advice you have in sort of selecting or finding a relationship with an agent who will definitely have your best interests at heart? Do you have any advice for writers on that? Yeah, I um, I mean, the first step is you have to learn the craft. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's some tendency to want to kind of skip over that part. Um I think that that, well, I don't think I know that has to come first. you got to learn the craft. you got to put in your time. you got to just do the work. Um, how long that takes varies by person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it came time for me to start looking for an agent, I, I didn't have this feeling that, you know, Bent Road is good enough to be published. I, I did not have any sense of, I had no certainty of that. It was mm. done, and the next step was, well, I guess I tried to find an agent, so I just did it. It wasn't, um, and I researched, back then, this was like in 2009, information wasn't quite as readily available as it is today, mm-hmm. but I looked at authors that I kind of thought their work was in the same vein, and I researched who represented them, and then I had I don't know, I submitted probably seven or eight, very slowly. I, again, I wasn't, I just was doing it because that's what you did next. Yeah. I, I didn't have this, I know this is worth publishing feeling. Um, and then a friend of mine who I met at Writers of Paradise 
Skype, who's a Swedish author, and she had been following the career of an agent who was a vice president at a large agency, and that, um, that was Jenny Bent, and she had just left that agency to start her own. Hmm, okay. Like she said, Yada, you know, she represents, she really liked the work, and so I'm like, okay. And um, it was just a good old-fashioned query in the slush pile. Okay. Um, and that's, and, and so, and I knew that she, I, I knew her reputation. I knew that she was legitimate. I knew she had sales. Mm. Um, and that, that information is all very readily available. You just have to do your homework and then stick to it. Got the it. thing for people, if they get an offer, then it's, you just want to take it no matter what. But you, you have to be disciplined and know it, you know, know who you're talking to on the other hand. Now, um, having had you know four books under your belt and you know more um, coming out, uh, you've had some years of experience and some success. Is there anything if you could go back and talk to starting author Lori Roy, um, who is just beginning this journey, would you have any advice for her? Anything you would do differently? Um, I I honestly can't think of anything I do differently. Mm-hmm. I think I got. I, I was smart enough early on to listen to a few things. And I had a couple of things happen that looking back were very fortunate. Um, when I when I went to my first conference and as a student, I was, if not the least experienced writer in the room, I was among the least experienced writer in the room. Uh, and... I, I quickly learned how much I didn't know and how mm. much I had to learn. Yeah. And I and I knew enough to keep my mouth closed a lot more than I tried to spout my opinions and just learn. Yeah. Uh, and so, and, and it, it it was good to be it was good to be struggling to keep up, and because I was in a in a class with extraordinary writers. Uh, Michael Carita was a student in that class who many listeners will know Michael. He's got like 13 books now. Hmm. And really successful. So that was the caliber of the student in my first class. Um, so I, I guess I just look back at a few of those things and think I'm glad that it happened that way. It was kind of brutal at the time. But uh, too much early success I think can be damaging. It starts to make you believe maybe in yourself more than you should. <laughs> yeah. And a little bit of struggle and hard work is, is good. Mm. Um, Do you have any uh, favorite craft tips for writers? This will be my third time saying it. Write what you read. Because there's so much involved in that. That says so much. Um don't filter. Mm-hmm. Don't filter your work, which is to say, um, if you're writing from a point of view, you don't have to say the character thought this and felt that and hoped this. It just is. Mm-hmm. Um, those filtering words are thought and hoped and um, remembered. Yeah. My big, my big one was he looked and saw this, and it's just like 
you know, we get it. It's just there. If, if the curtain's there, we know it's him seeing it. That was my that was my big critique he had for me back when I, my first book. So, well, and, and you think the way I would describe this because you think, well, what's the big deal? Like, mm-hmm. what what does that do my work? But I used the example of um, in one of my early books, we uh, publisher was doing a book trailer. And they wanted some ideas of like what sort of music I envisioned. So I was out listening to just these uh, music clips online uh, that you can get, you know, creepy ambiance or up tempo or whatever. Yep. And you can download them. And then as you're listening, they would put this like a name stamp, an audio name stamp, so you couldn't pirate it. Mm-hmm. So into this beautiful, creepy music, and then all of a sudden it would say, you are listening to Blog Talk Radio, and immediately you're snapped out of it. Yeah. And that's what filtering does to your work. It immediately snaps the reader out of it, and all of a sudden they realize, no, they're not part of this world, they're not really experiencing the fear or the danger, they're just back here reading about it. Yeah. So that, that's my... Uh, that's a great analogy. Yeah, that's great. Um, do you have any um, favorite craft books that you recommend? Oh, um, they're all packed away and have been for a long time because we're getting ready to move here pretty soon. Uh-uh. Um, Stephen King's on writing yeah. uh, is a great one. Um, John Steinbeck has a great essay out there, uh, writing like for beginning writers, something like that, mm. which is a beautiful kind of quick. And I've read a lot of, um, Sidfield is a writer who wrote about screen writing, mm-hmm. the, um, which studies screenplays and even movies, you get a great sense of how story unfolds. Mm-hmm. Down to the minute, you can anticipate, oh, there's the first plot point, there's the second, um, second act twist. Yeah. So I've done a lot of that just to help with plotting. And so yeah, that's one I always like to suggest. So that's my story. Yeah, that's that's a great recommendation. So, well, Lori, thank you. It's been um, we've kind of turned through our our half hour pretty quickly here. But um, where can people find more information about you and your books if they want to look you up? Uh, uh, I have a website, lauriroy.com. That's an easy. And then on my website, there are links to my social media or Google or just search for me. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, so it's pretty easy to find. Uh, well, that's great. And um, I'm sure people will come, come hunt you down if they need to. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to share your knowledge and your experience and, and your tips with us. Thank you for having me. It's been yeah. great. All right. Well, I hope to see you again sometime soon. Yeah.